This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmett and today I'm joined by Theo Squires and Matt Addison to talk the top four, four emotional exits and Liverpool versus Aston Villa. Theo, how are you? I'm okay. How are you? Yeah. Down at the club's press conference. Yeah. Uh, enjoyable. Just seemed to be a good boy. It was all right. He was in good spirits. Uh, plenty for him to talk about. Um, in Barbara's section was interesting as well, which I'm sure we'll find out later at half ten. The yeah. area is certainly a lot for us to get into now. Good stuff. And Matt, how are you going? Yeah, all good. Yeah, all good. Would have been even better had Newcastle not won against Brighton, as we'll come to our show. But uh, yeah, yeah not too. Well, we'll get into that shortly, but um, if you'll just allow me, I want to say a couple of things before we start. Theo, um, I listened uh, the other day to the podcast. See, I haven't been on a podcast now for a couple of weeks. Um, uh, since we found out um, the, the very sad news about Dan um, by Kay, um, who, um, if you if you know her, passed away um, recently. Uh, Dan was a regular contributor to the podcast. He was a, a journalist at The Echo. Um, Theo, I thought you and Gorsi already spoke really, really nicely about him. Um, it was a lovely tribute. Yeah, but I just want to say that um, Dan was a, a friend, a colleague, um, great journalist, a campaigner for um, for justice for Hillsborough. He was um, an incredible person. Um, he'll be very missed. Anfield will um, be applauding for, the, for him in the seventh minute tomorrow. Um, it'll certainly be emotional um, for a lot of people, um, but it'll be a fitting tribute to um, a great man and um we miss you, Dan. Um, yeah, it'll be um, it'll be nice tomorrow for, for him. Um, moving on from that, um, Theo, uh, top four um, for Liverpool yesterday. Did the dream die last night? Uh, it, I think every time one of the teams they're up against wins, it does feel like it dies. But then you, every time Liverpool then follow it up with a win, you get that little bit of hope back. And you look at the fixtures, you go, maybe Leicester, they're, they're desperate for the points. Maybe great escape for them. They can win at St James's Park. Maybe Chelsea will turn up and get a couple of wins, put in some good performances for Pochettino. It's like Pop keeps saying in these press conferences, he's got no hope for it at all. He just wants his side to keep winning. And if it's enough at the end of the season, great. If it's not, it's what they've expected. Uh, Europa League is clinched at this point. You can almost say the pressure is even more off for Liverpool. Um, Newcastle will be playing, what, Monday? So Liverpool, two games before that against Aston Villa. That's a chance to keep the pressure on them. United have been dealt a blow with Rashford. He's been potentially ruled out as name of illness today, so maybe their away blues will continue against Bournemouth. If it goes to the last day, anything's possible. But as me, Gorsty, Dolio said all along, since pretty much the Bournemouth defeat for Liverpool, it feels like they've done, left themselves too much to do. It's a funny one, isn't it, Matt? Because I, I, I look back at this season, and if you'd said to me in March, after that Bournemouth game, for example, um, that... Um, do you think Liverpool will have a chance at the Champions League? I've said no, certainly not. Um, and I wouldn't even be thinking about it. But now, if they don't make it, it's almost a disappointing end of the season because of the run that they've been on. Yeah, and I think that's the frustration for me, really, is it's only one game, isn't it? If they'd have just done better in one game, that could have been enough and we could have been in a completely different situation. Salah has scored two penalties. The Salah penalties, the 1-0 defeat at Bournemouth, which we now hope that Manchester United might be able to repeat this weekend, but not always really believe. I don't think that that's going to happen. So I think that's the, the really annoying thing for me, is they wouldn't have talked that much if they'd have just started this run one game earlier, if they'd have just done it once at some point earlier in the season. If if they'd have just not been quite so bad, they would have still been all right. But yeah, it doesn't quite feel like it's going to happen. But 
I still do think there's you know a lot to take from yeah, this run. If they continue this run, they win the last couple of games, you then set yourself up for the summer next season, and, and you've got that momentum. But yeah, it is it is frustrating, and it, it's it's a weird one to assess because the season has been completely different. They were so poor for that period; they've been so good now. It's just not quite going to be enough. I don't think. And momentum's a big thing, isn't it, Theo? I think about you know all the good seasons Klopp's had. They seem to have carried momentum into those seasons. And last year, it felt the reverse, even though it was a, a great season and they came so close to a glorious finish. Ultimately, the finish was was pretty disappointing. Um, the manner in which the, they, they missed out on the Premier League, the Champions League, sort of felt like a hangover that, that extended into the season. If they can win nine games and a bounce going into next season, it feels weirdly, even though you've got Newcastle, you've got Arsenal, you've got Manchester United, all, all of them have at times this year had been like the comeback story, if you like. Liverpool could quietly reassert themselves as Man City's biggest challenges. Am I getting carried away? Or, or do, you, do you see where I'm going with that? I see where you're going. I think it depends who they bring in in terms of transfers and the summer and the midfielders they get. Like We already know they've ruled themselves out with Drew Bellingham. If you're then looking at they miss out on McAllister to a Manchester United, Mason Mount stays at Chelsea, I think that would fill the momentum a little bit. If they get the targets they want, there's no reason why they can't be positive going forward. Like, they have revamped the attack over the last 18 months. And we're seeing positive signs from Cody Gakpo, Darwin Nunes. I know he's been up and down recently. He's got the injury at the moment, but he's put in good, some good moments. Jota's done well since he's back from injury. Diaz has done well since he's back from injury. Salah's got another 30-goal season. So that front three, whatever it lines up, you can be confident of that. Midfield suddenly doesn't look like a crisis anymore. Like, even though you know they're going to bring in two or three new players, Fabinho's not been as bad, Henderson's not been as bad, Elliot's taken that next step, Curtis Jones is in the form of his life, Besetic is going to be back from injury, and then they've finally got a run where the back four has been consistent, it's been what you want it to be, your first choice back four. Trent Alexander-Arnold's found form again. That's a very good 11. You had bring in three, four, five new signings to that, and it is a match for anyone. Like, and they just needed to get over this hump. They're, they're in a better place now than they have been before. Like recent years, they've been derailed a little bit by, oh, it's the pandemic, so they've not had a proper pre-season, or they've played all the way up until June, and there's a mid-season World Cup, so they've not had the full pre-season there. They've got to rush through. This time already, it feels like they've done proper preparation. They're going to have a full summer. They're going to be able to get the players they want in for the start of July, for the start of pre-season. They're going to be doing what friendlies in Europe, then going to Asia. And then a couple of weeks later, it's the start of the Premier League. They've given themselves the best platform to push on to go into the next season. But they do need to respond. Like They can't just have this as nine games where they put it all together because the pressure is off because they've already messed everything up. They need to show that like 2020-2021, it was a blip and the real evolved pool is still underneath the surface. And this is the sign of what we can expect in the future. I still think, Matt, I look at you know Liverpool's rattles around the table and obviously Man City's sort of set apart now and I think most people accept that um, but you know I, I look at the likes of Marcel they had fantastic season um, Newcastle obviously fantastic season um, Manchester United mounted something of a little bit of a mini revival this year but but I don't look at them and think that they have more class than, than, than Liverpool or even more potential than Liverpool I still feel as though if I, if I was to take any squad of those those four teams, I would take Liverpool's. Do you agree, or, or do you still think Liverpool have got ground to make on those sides? Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, I think Arsenal is is an interesting one because we don't quite know 
how sustainable is this? Is is this a kind of thirteen, fourteen for for them, or, or is it? Or is it the same bit? Eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, it, is it the start? Are they going to spend a hundred million on better rice and, and go from there? But you know, I think you know you'd go through the Liverpool starting eleven, and let's say they keep the goalkeeper fit, still the best goalkeeper in the league yeah. for me. Even yeah. this season, Liverpool's player of the season, Trent Alexander-Arnold, best right back still. Whether you want to call him a right back or not, he's still mm. the best. I think the two centre halves are right up there. I don't think there's there's anybody who's who's at that level in terms of of the other clubs. You know, you, you got you don't need me to go through all of, of the team, but yeah. the, the point is Liverpool at their best. If you keep these players fit, you add a couple to the squad and, and be able to rotate these players. You know, you know, even someone like a, a Jordan Henderson, not necessarily the best midfielder in the league, but if Liverpool have got two or three extra quality midfield options when Jordan Henderson does play, it's yeah. not like he's exhausted. Yeah, on the verge of injury, he can be fresh. He can be an option. Yeah, Thiago is, is the same case as Jones, I think, is the same as well, as much as you need to, the momentum. You don't want to overplay these players. Harvey Elliott, suddenly you start to look and, and think that Liverpool have got lots of different midfield options. And I think, you know, to be fair, that's what Jurgen Klopp was trying to say last summer was, you know, what more do you want in terms of the variety of midfielder that Liverpool have got? They've got the right balance. It's just the case of the availability hasn't been there. And obviously the players that will move on this summer the ones that will come in, you'd hope will readdress that that balance and, and sort of sort that out. But I just think in, in every area Liverpool have, have got that potential. It's just about, you know, the consistency and can they do it for well, I, I suppose they've done it for what, a third of, of a season? Can yeah. they do that for, for three times? Well you've put last year, it's basically what you just said there, isn't it? When they went on that run at the second half of the season, it's because everyone was fit. So they could just go these three players, these three players and rotate it, keep everyone fresh. Whereas this year, they've been playing catch-up. Klopp said that from the very start. They had, what, 10, 11 midfielders available to them in pre-season. By the time they got to the end of August and Artemelo comes in, they've lost, I think, five of them to injury. Like, and they were playing catch-up from there. You see the forward, that was riddled down to three options there. And then Firmino picks up an injury when they had the World Cup break. And they just didn't have the bodies. Matip, Canate, they're picking up injuries as well. It was, these are our 11 available players. We've got a few youngsters. And it just all fell apart from there. You'd like to think that it's going to be a clean slate for them. They're getting rid of some of these players that have had a lot of injury problems. You wish them well, but it has been a frustration for everyone involved. You want to bring in new players who don't have that cloud over them, where you can just be a bit more positive about it. You know they're going to be available. You can rely on them. You can rotate that little bit, and you can just go into the new season strong, confident. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. But that's it, and I think that people have short memories in football, and obviously, but the teams deserve praise. Arsenal have been brilliant, but but you know Liverpool have several bad months and or a bad season. Let's be honest, a bad season, and I, and I accept that. But you know, I think I look at Liverpool and think you know they talk about players like Saliba, who's obviously a good player, but would I take him over a fully fit Konate? I'm not sure I would, and I think. I think people forget the class of some of these Liverpool players, and yeah, they do need freshening up, certainly in midfield, and they probably need a couple more options at the back. But, you know, I think the players like Salah, you know, overlooked again in the Premier League player of the season, and perhaps at times he hasn't sparkled, but he's been consistent again. He's got lots of assists. He's scored, again, 30 goals. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a player who never, ever stops performing. And then Trent, you know, I find it, you know, he loved the last sort of seven, eight games, and you know, obviously the, the, the tactical switch has helped him and he, he has struggled this season. But, 
you know, I can. I, I just find it bizarre almost how quickly people write these players off. Um, he's obviously got great class and, and, and we're seeing that again now. So I just think, I find, I look at Newcastle and think, whatever they do, you know, they've got a great opportunity. They perform very well. Really impressed with the way Newcastle seem to find goals at the right times in games. Uh, they're very good at, at scoring, even when they're under pressure or when they break away. Uh, but I think that the next step for them is very difficult. Ditto for Arsenal and Man United. You know, Ted Hag obviously picked them up a little bit, but I still think they're very. There are a lot of problems bubbling under the surface there. And, you know, and some of their better players are a little bit older as well. So I just think it's interesting. But um, one more thing before we move on and talk about four exits, I'm just going to quickly make a case. And again, this might be me spinning a very negative thing into a positive, but I've just. Planted the seed in my mind. Someone did this week, and I can't let go of the Europa League final being in Dublin next summer. <laughs> um, it could be. It. I mean, that that's better. Give me a Europa League final now over a Champions. No, no I'm not saying. Well, give me the Europa League final next year. And Champions League final at Wembley. Wembley's rubbish. Been there, done that. Yeah, Wembley's rubbish stadium, but in Dublin, you know, I've said it a couple of times. I'll say it on the podcast. They'd have to build a, build a bridge from Hollyhead to, to Dublin because the amount of Liverpool of Scouts and Liverpool fans going over there would be unreal. We need to go and rent an office for a couple of weeks. All of us just come yeah. do our content there. It's so much better. Well, that's it. And and it would be such an occasion. They've never really played. I mean, they played the friendly, didn't they? I think under Rod. They played a couple. They had um, one to Celtic yeah. and they had an end of season. I think it was like yeah. Shamrock or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think they never really played the competitive game that it would be it would just be such an amazing occasion so uh, uh, that is my silver lining if Liverpool miss out in the Champions League is I'd see them get that final in Dublin and, and just play what would be an incredible incredible occasion there obviously there's a lot of work to be done before. <laughs> a lot of things to happen but yeah that's just my, my big dream they'd have to be among the favourites well, because in that competition Liverpool is going to be the team yeah. to beat I think they would be the favourites wouldn't they whatever when you look at the, the final four this year it's teams that are always ahead next they go the distance like Seville in the final yet again the ridiculous Roma a Mourinho side in a European the, final yet again they're up against what Juventus Bayer Leverkusen granted they've come from absolutely nowhere to get to that semi-final but an Alonso a serial winner with Liverpool Real Madrid, it's always these big sides of the pedigree go far in that tournament. But say that, Liverpool are a step above any of them. Yeah. And I think we would see that again next season, or I'd like to think so. And I just think, you know, I've always liked the Europa League, spoke in this podcast before. This nice trophy. It's, it's, it's a nicer trophy, definitely. It's, it's a gorgeous trophy. And, and I just think it is a better competition that it gets credit for because people always concentrate on those early stages when the, the back end of the competition is very good. And, and that final being in Dublin is just... I can't get out of my mind. I can't get out of my mind. So, yeah, anyway, um, we'll move on from that. Four emotional exits tomorrow at Anfield. We'll sort of run through them and talk a little bit about each of them. We'll start with the most high profile, um, which is, is Bobby Firmino. I call him Bobby. Um, You're trying to avoid that for five years, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I finally give in. But, yeah, um, Theo, I mean, where do we just start? Incredible player for Liverpool. Um, a real trailblazer in the sense that you know the position he played in um his style um just with the grace he played i mean where'd you start on on his liverpool career well klopp said he wouldn't have enough time to give him justice to broaden his impact i think it's yeah. the same for us isn't it like he is this liverpool legend who was there at the very beginning under klopp and 
he set the tone for it all. Along with James Miller, Jordan Henderson. But Firmino is that one. I think there's a bit more intrigue about him because he, he doesn't speak very often. No. Like it's only the uh, Brazil translations, isn't it, when he does ESPN. So there's that mystery, but there's always that, that smile and you're watching him play, whether it's about the small things where he's on the floor back heeling it through the legs of what was it a Cardiff City defender the little turn he did against Villarreal in the, the Europa League semi-finals to the big moments where he gets that winner against Stoke or in the run-in to get into the top four or oh, so many other big goals where it's Club World Cup he scored the goal that made him the world champions all the away goals on the way to winning the Premier League and you think the best year of his career when Liverpool got to the final for the first time in the Champions League it's what a 20 goal season there sensation in the Champions League all these big moments, it's almost a shame that he couldn't keep it going as long as Mane and Salah in terms of, I am the start, uh, I play every single week, I am getting 20 goals a season, every single season. But he's still got his big moments this year, whether it's a last-minute equaliser against Arsenal, or getting that uh, nice little goal against Manchester United, and he never complained, he always just did it, head down, got it done, um, he's got one of the best chances modern Liverpool history, hasn't he? He's someone who will be very much missed. It's probably the right time for him to go and be a starter elsewhere. Like you look at him, Liverpool got attacking options. Realistically, he's what, fourth, fifth choice. You're already putting him in that starting 11 now out of sentimentality. But what a servant he's been. It's been a wonderful journey for him. And it's something that Liverpool fans will sing about for years to come. Like We're almost in this era now where because they've won so many things and Liverpool were gone 20, 30 years without that, that you take for granted the legends they have, like the true legends they had in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and now they've suddenly got a whole hatful, but Firmino is right at the top with your Salas and yeah. your Van Dykes. Yeah, and he's someone, isn't he, that just seemed to love playing for Liverpool. Yeah. And he loved playing football, but loved playing for Liverpool. Uh, Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot, and I'm going to do for you as well, Theo, so get thinking. Favourite Firmino moments? Oh, well, I mentioned the Blood World Cup. I think it's hard to, to look beyond that in terms of just the uniqueness it's the only time that Liverpool have won that competition and I think that that's the one that the one the kind of I suppose that's not really a moment is it the actual moment would be that that turn against Villarreal yeah. that kind of that that flair that just the the audacity to, to do that I think is uh, it is kind of summing up for me you know what there's too many elements of him to yeah. say he's, yeah. he's, 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 he's everything isn't yeah. he? that's that's why he was so good yeah. it's a shame that the Club World Cup's not appreciated as much over here because if you take a step back and look at it from the South American point of view, he is a Brazilian player yeah. who scored it against a Brazilian club to be champions of the world and we know how much his home nation won in that tournament. Yeah. So for him, that moment was absolutely huge and that is by far the biggest moment of his Liverpool career. Yeah. But yeah, it's those little moments like the Villarreal turn, like the Stoke goal. I put Stoke goal. Personally, I think I love the Arsenal actually because yeah. I was there and it's like was it the third one where he jinx one way or the other puts defenders on the backside but he's had so many big moments like that even going down to oh I've not scored at Anfield all season and then popping up against Chelsea the night they win the trophy or lift the trophy yeah he might be forgotten yeah. but that, that I would agree that would be my favourite moment with that little jink and roll leaving every Arsenal defender on their backside and just that was like to me Liverpool playing just the peak of their powers him at the peak of his powers and, and just scoring goals with you know, grace, poise, effort, um, great, great player. Uh, so moving on from him, um, James Milner, a very different type of player, Mark. Um, but, I mean, arguably Liverpool's best ever free signing, just a, a you know, a pro of all pros, isn't he, James Milner? Um, where'd you start with him? And, and again, get think of the thing, because I'm going to ask you your favourite James Milner moments as well. 
yeah again there's there's lots of, of ones to pick but very yet uh, very different ones but yeah it's it, it's hard again so to know where to start with him i think for me i was having a little think about this before in terms of his stature and kind of the, the player that he is at the age he is i think you can't really sum it up better than it looks like he's probably going to go to brighton what do you yeah. think of how small their recruitment yeah. is yeah. how good their manager and, and all of, of that sort of thing has, has been for a club like brighton to be picking him up i think it says a lot about how people still think of him the value that he can add who knows maybe it'll be a, a liverpool brighton europa league final next season i mean he wouldn't put it past them to, to do something like that but uh yeah, no. Don't say that because I wouldn't be those because they play Barcelona every time we play for a penalty, certainly. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be a real loss, I think, for, for Liverpool with Milner. We've seen him come on and, you know, in the, the last few games, even just the, the impact that he's had to, to be able to close games out. I think, you know, for, for that kind of experience, I'm pretty sure Jurgen Plot would have wanted to keep him around next season. I don't think it's, you know, for, for any other reason, really, than he just thinks he can go and play football more regularly elsewhere and whether that's Brighton or somewhere else yeah he, he's right because he is you know he's he's still a very very good Premier League player favourite moment uh, come back to me because I think I've got go you have to think about it um, the Bournemouth goal line clearance just yeah. before the pandemic barely? I thought it was Bournemouth might be yeah because it was just after the Watford 3-0 wasn't it and you think oh is this a Liverpool crumble or City going to do what they always do it was a tight game and then he goes and pulls off this clearance beyond his years. It was superb. But you could choose some of the big goals, the penalties, the celebrations, even the pandemic moments where, you know, he's doing his little countdown for number 10, keeping everyone entertained. Um, he's like just this meme king as well, isn't he? A completely different way to Firmino. But that moment, that clearance summed up with James Milner. He's not the most glamorous player, but he never get, gives up. He always gives his all and he always delivers. Yeah, I could do one more second to think. Mark, because I'll say mine. I mean, to be to be fair, I think it's slightly harsh on Milner because we kind of remember these full-blooded moments that the the, the moment like that. Um, I was going to say Bratlin Neymar, kind of like set the tone. Was that a yeah? I kept the thing. Set the tone for like Liverpool in Europe that year, being a force again. Him leaving the way, not allowing a player like Neymar to come to Anfield and totally dominate. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe it'll sound fair on Milner because I think he's. We should think of him as a better footballer than perhaps these four bloody moments but um, sort of underlined Was that the year he got the, the record for the assists in the Champions League like the year before but even then the fact that he's still got that record says a lot yeah. I think it was that year was yeah. were, you, were you going to add anything to that I was going to say that, that I, I seem to remember there was a last minute penalty against Dallas was it oh there's a couple yeah. Palace who's a, a wider one but yeah. I think yeah again that kind of sums up to, to have absolute certainty more than any other player I think that if I reckon if, if you could say to me you need someone to, to score a penalty for you 100% who's the closest player that you can get probably probably James Milner will beat that man yeah right Theo you, you mentioned we're going to um, get a bit <laughs> more difficult now we're going to talk Naby Keita um, where'd you start again more difficult but but he's a player who he will always divide Liverpool fans I don't think I think you could ask five different people and they give you five different answers but but it he has played his part in very big moments for Liverpool. He, he will go away having won every single trophy on offer. Um, what? How do you sort up your thoughts on Keith? Uh, if he wasn't the problem player that he is, if he'd come and been what we all thought he was going to be without the injuries, consistently done it year after year, like a Salah, Liverpool aren't in transition this year. Yeah. He is that star midfielder. They don't need to overhaul everything. That team is built around him. 
Ben, I've said it on podcasts before, he, he could never live up to the hype and the expectation because we were watching highlight reels from afar for a year. It builds him up to this insane level. It's funny, isn't it? You look back at that deal at the time, they've all got a lot of credit for, for striking it. The clever deal. In many ways, he did. It's, it's hardly like hardly fair on Liverpool, but it almost Build them up to builds them up to, to fail, didn't it? Because we had the year of going, oh my God. And then the Gerard number eight as well. Yeah. But I think at the same time, He's a very, very lucky boy that he's come into this Liverpool side. Like, yes, he has had so many big moments, but that's because he's been part of a great team that got him to those big moments. And he still had injuries. He's been missing big games. Or like, I think still the most iconic case moment I can think of is he scores that worldie against Chelsea. They'd already won the league weeks before by then. It just happens to be the night they left the trophy. But he's very lucky to have been in this era of Liverpool. Because if you put him in any other era in the Premier League, yeah. say Julio signs him in... 2002-03 when they get Diouf, Diaw, Shea Room, and he's a massive big money flop. If Rogers gets him when they sell Suarez and he's along with Markovic, Balotelli and all that mob, he's another big money flop who's let them down. If he's in with what well, Rafa went to replace Alonso instead of Aquilani, he's, oh, he's let you down. He's another injury prone prone player who's not lived up to the hype. He spent too much money, hasn't played enough football. But you forgive it because he's contributed these moments now and again for a side that has won every trophy there is to win. That has almost let you forgive those moments. It's the same as you overlook Jago missing half a season because yeah. he's a quality player. Like He's been part of something special and will go for those positive moments. But because us journalists, fans, it, it, even Klopp himself, the build case are up to such levels, you can't help but feel there is a little bit of disappointment there to his departure now. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. I think that, that sums it up really nicely in terms of the expectation was there for a reason. He was clearly a, a very, very good player, but he's just ultimately never been able to string together a series of performances where he could show that even when he has played, it's it's not been that transformational player. I, I wonder how much of that is sort of around the way that Liverpool's midfield has been structured, was it a part of the pitch where you could come in and completely take a hold of it and, and become a completely different unit as a result? Or was it always going to be, yeah. you bring a White Aldam or a Fabinho or a Henderson into that midfield and, and it kind of has to, to work together as a unit? But yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. I think he's the one out of the big money signings that hasn't worked. Probably the, the way you should look at it really is, Liverpool have only made one of those mistakes. If you look at any other club, there's several of those examples, whereas, you know, Naby Keita is, is the only one where Liverpool spent that big money and it hasn't quite worked. But, yeah, yeah we, we had high hopes, but yeah. I think after five years, we can kind of come to a fair conclusion that it just hasn't worked and it's the right time to move on. Yeah, I always think that availability is a, is one of a footballer's best attributes. And, and I think... I always look at Keita as one of those players, almost a bit like Harry Kuehl in the sense that every now and again he'll play so well that you imagine what could could have been with him. And, you know, he looked back at 5-0 United, you know. But that's the That's semi-final last year of course I'm Greg on I mean, you look back at those types of games, or even 5-0 United, it kind of sums him up. Same, same with the Atletico Madrid game where he scores this outrageous volley, mm. but they get subbed off at half-time or just before half-time. But, but then the United game gets subbed off, stretched off, after a poor challenge, and then really he was fine, wasn't he? Let's face it. He played the next week. He played the following week. They kept him back from a game, and almost to protect him. But and, and that was Kaiser at times. I just think it it, it there was you would have those extremes. I, I always remember the four 0 win over over West Ham 
in the first game of the season when he played and I thought, my God, you know, like Liverpool have signed a, a real star here. And it's such a shame that it, it didn't work out, but you'll never get that consistency if you keep missing games. And unfortunately for Keita, and I don't know, it's unfair for me to, to I don't want to you know, make any accusations, but I don't know whether that was a mentality thing or whether he was just really unlucky, but you look at a lot of the injuries, they were big ones, they kept him on for a short amount of time. And I'll always remember him missing a pre-season friendly because he sat funny on the Canadian. And, and but that, that kind of like summed it up. I remember Klopp always gave a bit of a sarcastic answer about that, saying they were, the seats were comfortable, but obviously not comfortable enough for Naby. And you, you know, your manager saying that about you in the first summer you're there, it's a bit of a concern, isn't it? And, you know, I, I always remember Gerard talking about storage concerning sometimes I had to get on to him and say, come on, you, you're fit enough, play, play, play. And he, he was always doubting himself. And, and, and it's always, you know, though that you will blame a player for that because, you know, it, I think it's quite sad that they maybe aren't sure whether they can get through games. But sometimes I think maybe Keith had a bit of that where, you know, he just needed a push to play a bit. Well, like I was saying with those um, earlier eras, when you say with Sturridge there, Liverpool relied on Sturridge for yeah. so long because he was the star striker. They've never relied on Naby Keita's it's that availability, the durability. You mentioned Gini Wijnaldum. When Liverpool sign him, you expect him to be, what, a 25 million versatile squad player. You never expect him to go and be this ever-present who starts every game. You can say the same for Henderson or Milner to an extent. They're not the most glamorous players, but they're just always available. No nonsense, get the job done. If you can start games, if you're available to play, that is the very basic need. And that's what they've been able to do. If Cater's available all the time, he's in that starting midfield ahead of those three because he offers that little bit more. But because he's not, he's injured, they have to turn to the others. And that's when Wijnaldum can step up, step up and score a brace against Barcelona and all these other great moments these three have done. Um, that's the strength of what we're saying for Liverpool next season. You want them to have those plethora of options so they can make those changes. Whereas Cater, that, yeah, at the same time, you still want him to be that talisman that he never was. It's unfortunate that he seems to be maybe a bit too fragile for the English game. But then he never had these injury problems in Germany as well. There's been a few players when they've come in where they haven't had that pass and it's just not quite clicked for him. At the very least, you say, wherever he goes next, get rid of those injuries. Go and show what you can do, whether it's back in Germany or go to France, go to Turkey, wherever. Cause he was a talented player. He's got every winner's medal. But he's not going to be one of those players that James Milner is playing at one of the top teams in European football well until his late 30s, is he? Okay, um, and the final exit tomorrow is Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, probably, you know, the most difficult of these four, I think, to sum up in some ways, Matt. I mean, it, he obviously had high points. He had low points. He was probably slightly better than he got credit for at times and also probably, I think definitely, has hung around at Liverpool maybe two years only. But perhaps he, he, he merited. Um, what will you... How would you remember Axel Chamberlain at Liverpool? How would you assess his time? I think you've got to split it into pre-injury and, and post-injury. I think that's the, the easiest way. I think that there's... But the pre-injury, sorry to interrupt, but that pre-injury is such a small amount yeah, of time. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and he started slowly there as well. Considering that we've just given Cater quite a, a critical discussion, we had quite a critical discussion around Cater. I think sometimes Oxley Chamberlain gets away with that because he had that one that spell yeah. before the injury. Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I think that, that's absolutely a fair point. And I think the difference between Cater and Oxlade-Chamberlain is for the last two seasons, like you say, Oxlade-Chamberlain has been fit but not been selected. Yeah. Whereas Cater is probably the other way around. He probably would have been selected. Yeah, yeah that's true. But, but hasn't necessarily had that. So 
It's a difficult one. I think Liverpool's midfield would have moved beyond him yeah. and had he stayed fit. I don't think he was a perfect fit for, for that midfield. I also think it's it's never, ever spoken about. I mentioned before about how high a fee they paid for Naby Keita, but they paid £35 million. Pounds all seems bad on him. With a year left on his contract, when he wasn't really in a particular position, he wasn't coming in as he's definitely going to be in this Liverpool midfield. He's what we need to, to move to the next level. It was kind of, well... He's a bit versatile. He can play on the right. He can play a bit of fullback if he needed to, or wing back. He can play midfield, and, and that's where he wants. But it, it did seem to me a bit of a strange one at the time. But you kind of justified it in terms of, well, maybe this is Liverpool getting to the next level, spending a bit more, a bit more of a squad player. But yeah, and grown. It was the outgrown. It's cut It's not both the time, But yeah, no, he's he's a hard one to to assess in terms of split between injuries, split between a kind of probably would have moved beyond him anyway and yeah. it, it just it, he's the one that I will look back over the last couple of years and we, we've all said and it's, it's blatantly obvious that they should have done more with the midfield yeah. rather than leaving it to now I think he's the one that he could have just gone look we'll take five ten million for you blow him and get a thing get a get him out you, you free up a space in the squad so exactly what they did with Adam, Adam Lallana as well isn't it they had him for like two years too long you did great getting to that part of the journey but then they'd like outgrown you I would argue just on Oxley Chamberlain, I think it was a good sign in the sense that like like with Mount now, I think if you can take advantage of one of your rivals, you know, struggles or whatever it might be, and you, you can go out and, and buy a and buy the player off them, it's sort of I've always said this, but you also pats him on the head and says, We're higher at the back and all yeah. And you take him and you make a party squad. There's nothing wrong. United just do all the time with having good squad players. And that's what I think Oxley chamberlain when he was fit and at his best, was he was a good squad player that, that Liverpool could turn to. He was something a bit different. But yeah, I think two years, probably too long. I think they probably, if they could have done, and maybe they could have if they, they would have if they could have, but taking a fee, a loan fee, or getting him off the wages and move him on and just get somewhere a bit different. But um. But yeah, like like if they sign Mount, I kind of like what they did there. Uh, I think Mount's Mount's a higher level. Oh yeah, but he is. He wakes up that. But then you think yeah. how highly rated Oxlade Chamberlain was when he was still got from Southampton. It was only when the injuries kicked in, and he had a few injuries at Arsenal as well that he lost that. Um, I think we are a bit more forgiving of him compared to Akater because it's obvious why it went wrong. He did an ACL injury, the most serious injury a footballer can get. He was never going to be. It was just an ACL. It was just like. Everything's knee just done, but so like Kate, as you say, oh, he's sat funny in the plane, he's he's kicked the ground and stubbed his toe in. Oh, he's had these sorts of injuries, didn't it? No, I don't want it to, don't want that to be characterized. It's not all like that with Kate, there was a bad laugh, there was the way, yeah, pulls and stuff like that. But but I think there were times when you do wonder, and I could be wrong, I you know, I want that to be said because I know what people will do. I could be wrong, but it, you know, there were times where you felt like could Kate have. Playing a bit through the pain bar, whereas Oxley Chamberlain, when you when you get an ACL injury, mm. you don't play through the pain. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit tough, isn't it? But then like, Matt's pretty much summed it up perfectly, hasn't he? You expected Kate to come in and be that talisman. Oxley Chamberlain was only ever a versatile squad player, yeah. so your expectations are already so much lower for him. You almost excelled them, even though really we got four months of him where he was actually really good. Yeah. And Klopp said that in the press conference. They saying, "Why oh, he's irreplaceable?" Like, I didn't know what I was going to do because he was so good for those. It is four months, isn't it? It's basically the Man City 4-3 in the January to when he did the ACL. It's overlooked a little bit how many goals he scored in the title winning year. 
like, I think there's a, a video somewhere. It might have been one of the FIFA ratings ones where he goes, hey, I was the top scoring midfielder in this squad last season. That's so disrespectful, the, the rating he got. And you do think he did score a few in that, yeah. In that yeah. Like the, the outside of the foot one against Genk in the Champions League. Yeah. And he still. Where Bournemouth, yeah, he scored against Bournemouth. And like, when the players were at a couple of nations or something and they needed him in the front three, he scored goals. He scored twice, didn't he? When, yeah. when Salah was away. Last year, Brentford and Palace was good. Yeah, and then he, he scored again when they needed him to against Brentford. Well, didn't help, but against Brentford this season when they were short on options, he was the squad player they needed at the time. He's proved himself to be a bit more for that four-month spell, but then he got injured and then they outgrew him and they just couldn't find a place for him. Like they didn't really need him, but he's homegrown. He ticks a box. He's versatile. But then he's always been that very bottom of the list. Like, he is the one you leave out the squad if everyone's available. Okay, um, moving on then um, to tomorrow's game. Just a quick note on Aston Villa. Matt, been pretty impressive, haven't they? Since you and I have came in, he's, I think he was a far better manager than perhaps he got credit for at Arsenal. We've had sending Steven Gerrard there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've gone on about your mentions, you're too fit in the captain there. No, <laughs> no, you know, he's done very well. Lads. And um, I think, you know, in this little role, it's a far trickier game. I think because it's at home, people are sort of, Almost looking past it, but some of the away games are quite difficult. But this is a tough game, isn't it, tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, they, they've got some really good players, haven't they? They've they spent a fair bit of money on, on those players as well. They've got, you know, a decent squad. I think Unai Ever is the perfect manager as well. If they can just squeeze into seventh spot and, and get into the Conference League, like we were saying, with Liverpool being one of the favourites, I think instantly you'd. The Liverpool come back, isn't it, by the way? Yeah. That is it. You think about they were like in relegation trouble. Sorry. See Jarbrin, but they were they were struggling, and he is overseeing you know a remarkable progress. Yeah, they, they they've got some really good players, and, and crucially, he's getting the best out yeah. of, of those players. Felipe Coutinho being an exception to that, he's, he's not managed to do it with him. But you think of Ollie Watkins in particular. Yeah, I think is it Moreno, the, the left back. Was, he was a good player that, that they brought in. You know, they've they've got some really good players, and if you can you could have one or two to that. I don't know. How high is, is the ceiling? How how further how much further can they go yeah. than what they have already? But yeah, they build a great run. I think it will be a tough game. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It will make life difficult for Liverpool tomorrow. So we'll pick our team before we go. There, um, there's no brief point in getting to the goalkeeper. Although saying that, quick note on goalkeepers. Interesting answer from Klopp today, wasn't it, on Kelly yeah, in the press conference? it was. Like, he was uh, very strong on that. He was shocked, wasn't he, to be asked about Keller might leave. He's 24. You don't play him. He's only played, like, three games, I think, since the League Cup. I think he's probably openly about it. Was, oh, so, it's like, surely if Keller asked to go, he will go. Because Klopp's always said that. If they want to go, we'll let them go. But, yeah, he said um, they'll take an extraordinary offer. He's not going anywhere. Maybe comes to thinking you're trying to get Alexis McAllister, Brighton, one of the clubs that could be in for a new goalkeeper. Gets a few million off that that price fee, uh, but then he's still at Tottenham might be in the conversation. Brentford, but if a team like Tottenham are in the conversation, then I hundred stand and hundred percent agree that Klopp is going to sit there and say, "Make us a big offer." Yeah, because go- goalkeepers don't go cheap now, and uh, and he is he's twenty four, great great young players there. He's played what over hundred games for Liverpool. If they don't have the best goalkeeper in the world, yeah. you're not even having this conversation if they don't have Allison. But think of all the times where was it Dubek and goal or Vesterbold and goal. Uh, Mingale and goal. You're just waiting for a youngster to come along and take the place. And there wasn't anyone there. Keller was the keeper they wanted. And they just so happened to have him when they booked the best keeper around. So this one to watch, it's an interesting one. Like Klopp does lie. Like managers are all gonna lie when they're asked that question because they want a few more million. 
And I think there will probably be a conversation right now. Like if Kelleher is getting itchy feet, you'd imagine he will go come and at least let me go out on loan here. But I've always thought a sell with a buyback would be yeah. a great solution. Like that on paper, they did it with what, Jordan Iden, yeah. while he didn't work out for him at Bournemouth, there was still the sense in that. Um, but if Keller's happy to sit on the bench, play the domestic cup games, maybe you now throwing it back into the Europa League comes into it. Like Allison plays every Champions League. Going up to the there you go. There's the story. Keller, it's all coming together. Every Europa League game, isn't it? So maybe they get another season out of them there. Add a few million after a year. It's penalty heroics in a Europa League final against Brighton at Dublin. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so on the bench tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're back for. Um, it's the same, isn't it? There's no reason to change it. Trent can answer to Van Dyke Roberts. Yeah. It's yeah. Bizarre, yeah. It's a strong issue, you wouldn't, wouldn't change it. I've got a feeling it's going to be quite boring team selection because they are in midfield to say. Yeah, part of me wants to be a bit sentimental and give James Milner a start, but there is actually still something to play for for Liverpool. It's not mathematically impossible for that Champions League place yet. If it was, I'd be going to start Milner, start Firmino. Oh, with Cater can walk, Oxley Chamber can walk, start them as well. Yeah. But there's something to play for. They'll have to make do for substitutes at best. So it'll be what Jones, Henderson, Fabinho. Which is a screw. No, it's a, it's got to be the same. Um, but for Curtis Jones, it's it's another match that you just hope you can keep that rhythm going. I think for someone like Jordan Henderson, there's been a long enough gap now for for him and, and Fabinho's been excellent the last few weeks and has sort of solved a, a bit of a question mark I had in my head going into the summer. I think I'd be that kind of. I'd be way more confident now. If uh, I'd be surprised if Fabinho didn't start the first game of next season, whereas a month ago it probably would have been the other way around. So. Yeah, well, that, and that, that is, you know, a lot have been said about Curtis Jones, rightly so. Really pleased for him. Always liked him, and I think great to see him playing well. Henderson was sort of no, but it's you know having Fabinho, it's just it's so big, isn't it? And back in form. And I wonder if that's one where the formation changes really helped him as well, because when he came from Monaco. Klopp was saying, oh, he's not used to playing as this lone number six. He needs a player alongside him. So for 4-2-3-1, he would play him. But he took a while to get used to 4-3-3. I think maybe the legs have gone a little bit. He can't cover the ground all on him, his own. Especially if you've got your full-backs marauding forwards, your forward's not coming back, the midfield's not there. But you put someone in, in the centre alongside him and suddenly he looks a lot more confident. Like he was pressing so high against Leicester, wasn't he? Winning balls back and he, he looked a little bit more like his old self be interesting to see what combination of midfielders they bring in see how it complements him but he's still for now isn't he that first choice number six knowing he's still younger than some of the ones they're getting rid of and not injury prone compared to some of them and you've got a very good player in Stefan Bessetic he's just waiting in the rings to eventually inherit that place maybe Tyler Morton if comes back and steps up again sounds like it doesn't it I can only he's had his season ended by injury but he's another one you look at in pre-season I know that'll probably get growing. Yeah, that'll get the mentions kind yeah. of going. Oh, what you see? Yeah. Don't want to sign Jude Bellingham because you've got Tyler Morton. Yeah. But might be similar Curtis Jones. Now, if you've got the players there and they are talented, it's a feel-good factor because oh, we don't need to go and spend sixty million on a midfielder because we had a very good player already here. And also, you know, we don't know Sydney said Tyler Morton should be playing in fair every week, but you know, if you have him as an option to rotate, that's fine. He is starting the League Cup games, the Europa League games, Europa League games early in the end. Yeah, Bricks don't just don't ruin my double. <laughs> uh, so, for yeah, um, and then um, forward line again, are we going to say the same? One change for me, Humper and Jota. Jota. Like, I think the only reason he. Diaz. For Diaz. I think the only reason he didn't start the last couple, wasn't it? It's because he was getting a few knocks here and there. I think he got through Leicester unscathed. He's had a, another week on the training field. He's a bit fitter in terms of he hasn't had as recently has come back from that long term injury. 
and you still got to manage Diaz carefully. Yeah. So yeah, Jota. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a tough one to, to pick between those two. I think definitely it'll be Cody Gapo again from yeah. the one that really impressed me. Oh, yeah. it'll be Salah who's there as well. But it's then just that left side, isn't it? And I'm not not too fussed either way to be honest. That I go just about go Diogo Jota, but either way, I think I'm going to go Diaz. I just um, I just like I like the way they complement each other. That those three um, and Shane Nunes isn't available. It's one where Firmino wasn't. Come just coming back from the injury, we'd all be saying, "Oh, just put Gap on the line first, yeah, give yeah. you know, ninety minutes." Yeah. Have to do for twenty minutes off the bench or something, money. Finish off with the prediction, Theo. Two uh, 0 the ball. Two one, I think. I think it'll be very tight. I think they might score. If I Watkins does like a little bit to Liverpool, yeah, I think uh, they're they're quite good at getting in behind with the, the high line, aren't they? Which you know we don't need to go over the, the debates around that sort of stuff again, but. I think they will get they'll get a couple of chances and I'd felt him to score but Liverpool to win. Yeah, go along with what you're saying there. I think it will be a bit of a slog at times tomorrow. I think Villa will make it that way, but I just fancy Liverpool to carry on this momentum and and um push towards that Dublin dream. So we'll leave it there. Um thanks for listening. We'll be back on Monday to sort the fallout on that game to see if there'll be any slip ups in the race for the top four and to look ahead to the final game of the season. See you then, Tarap. Listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.